Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the... American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. I totally forgot that this was in Dallas. I don't know why. It just didn't even strike me. I guess Derek Lewis is on the card, so I should have known. But sure. yeah, we got a paper a headline, cards headlined by a woman's bantamweight rematch, Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes, and a flyweight rematch for an int for the interim title between Brandon Moreno and Kai Cara France, and uh, it's all on a card that is, I think, it has the potential to be good, but it's certainly not going to be bought. No. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, how does Nunez sell? No. 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 Yeah, I mean, she notoriously got 0% of the Rousey bump that um, Holly Holm got. Mm -hmm. And her first few pay-per-views were her, like, co-maining. And that pay-per-view she had against Raquel Pennington did 85,000 buys, which is, like, one of the lowest... In modern UFC but history, who cares about that fight? I mean, oh yeah, no, I mean it was a terrible fight. But the thing is, is that like you you look at Nunez's pay per views since then, and the only other one I think she's headlined all on her own was against Felicia Spencer. Well, once again, I I think uh, this may be then the first one that kind of sells. Because at the very least, this is the only narrative. I mean, I get it. Why would you care yeah. about Amanda Nunes? She's just beating everyone. Half the fights are boring. Uh, and no one has a chance. It's this utterly top-heavy divisional thing, like like Mighty Mouse, but with less impressive things happening. Yeah. Um, and that's never more interesting than when that uh, sort of dull stretch of dominance is un unexpectedly ended. And then what's yeah. the dominant person going to do? I mean, I certainly care. And I also... Um, I, I, I can't describe all the ways in which this fight excites me saying it's, uh, and don't go there. I can see, I can hear the cogs turning in your brain. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe it might, you know, maybe you shouldn't describe all of the ways <laughs> this excites you. Maybe you should save that for, you know, <laughs> at least for your only fans, make people charge for that. <laughs> Let me describe 90 patreon.com slash heavy hands. Let me describe <laughs> 90% of the ways in which it excites me. Yeah. Um, well, 99%, let's be honest. Okay. Um, the first fight was hilarious. <laughs> it was so stupid yeah. that it happened the way it did. But at the same time, it was such a shocking upset on the level of like home Rousey mm -hmm. uh, or like um, like Dillashaw Brow or whatever. It was that level of shock. Oh, my God, this person came out of nowhere and did it. I never gave them a chance. Yep. While being stupid, while also being 
somehow stupid and terrible and not a good fight, also a great fight. Yeah. Huge shifts in momentum, massive drama. Like it was the most bad and great fight I've ever seen at the same time. It's such a unique kind of excitement that they, that I, I really like am looking forward to this rematch, even though if you told me seven months ago, you would be really, really excited to see these guys fight not once, but a second time around, I would have laughed in your face. It sounds yeah. ludicrous, but yeah. it was so stupid and yet so brilliant. I have to see it again. I must see it again. Yeah, I mean, it is really, it still shocks me that Juliana Pena could even once, even one time, be Amanda Nunez's kryptonite. Yeah. Because, like, there's nothing about what Juliana Pena does on a technical level in any way that is made to beat Amanda Nunez. But doesn't it also make perfect sense that she'd be the one to beat her, like, in hindsight? No. No. It does to me. No. Because the crazy thing is, it was a fight where... Both fighters, for better and for worse, had uh, appeared to like enter to you know us or been well into a second stage in their careers, because mm-hmm. Juliana Pena was not. We we know her as hyper aggressive, yeah, uh, at all costs, and she had not really been fighting that way her previous two fights. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd been much more reserved, and those fights had not gone very well. I think in part as a result of that, her trying to yeah. be capital T technical. Yeah, her her trying to... Well, I mean, that's the sad... I, that, that's the reason I keep saying no, is because her trying to box with, like, Sarah McMahon even yeah. was just, like, ugly and un, unsustainable feeling. Yeah. yeah. And so her just going out and putting hands on Amanda Nunez all over the place, like, it, it still doesn't ring true to me. Well, but here's the thing is she got beaten up so badly in the first round Mm -hmm. that I think she she reverted without even thinking to classic Juliana Pena. Yeah. Like, screw the technique. You have to grab the initiative and choke the shit out of it. You can't let it go. You have to punch, 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 go, 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 wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. That's classic Juliana Pena. So Pena 1.0 won the fight. Mm Mm-hmm where Pena 2.0 had already lost a round. Amanda Nunes 2.0, at the same time, was revealed to be sort of a hollow shell because that was the most Amanda Nunes loss I've ever seen. Yeah. Only exceeded by all the other times she's ever lost. They all look just like that. Yeah. Even the ones that she's narrowly won, like Shevchenko won, they all have that arc. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in hindsight, it's like, of course, a classic version of Juliana Pena is going to at least get a 50-50 chance of beating Nunez because she's going to have an insane fight with her in which yeah. Nunez has all every reason to think she's about to beat her and then suddenly she's exhausted. But it was just so hard to predict that that I love these kinds of fights because it was so hard to wrap your head around the idea that the, the old Nunez could still be in there that she, we thought she'd moved so far away from this. She was so much more professional. And it turns out she was just like having slower fights against women who were more afraid to fight. With yeah. Her. Yeah. And that if you just go in there like a Wolverine, 
she's still the same fighter she's always been. That I always love these fights when it just reminds you that um, as much as you think people change, they also they just never really do. <laughs> yeah. Not the way you think. Only in small little ways, or they add band aids. But the fundamental insecurities and flaws pretty much stay there forever. And those things decide fights and amazing and stupid at the same time. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant fights. No, I mean, you want, you, you, there's, you know, there, there's a real truth to all combat sports, but MMA especially because it is such a go anywhere, do anything combat sport. Yeah. The, the, the the thing that makes great fights first and foremost is aggression and will willingness to compete yeah it is and the technique is a secondary criteria and you know Pena brought she brought that fight and it's hard not to you know it's hard not to be thrilled by the results even if it's even if it's it was terribly ugly at times it's still mm-hmm it's exactly what you want to see at a base level coming being brought to MMA. You yeah. know, we, we don't want to see the Adesanya cannoneer fights out there. God, no, God, no people, people, you know, I, I hate hearing when like we get announcers and fans and other people who are like, no, it's a chess match. Come on. You gotta be you gotta, like, Chess is way more functional, and also people play speed chess. Like you can actually have fast-moving, exciting, aggressive chess fights that are within the realm of the idea of chess, entertaining. You know, sure. You don't... I like the way you said that. It's like the way I would talk about a jiu-jitsu tournament. Yeah, I can see how if you like this sort of thing, if you're a freak, this would be entertaining. Yeah, and like, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is that, like, there are functional ways to make chess, to, to have chess be entertaining to watch. People, yeah. if you watch people play speed chess, it's cool. You know? Speed it chess is. is way more like fighting than regular chess because it's the pressure. The time yeah. pressure is, is like, it, it, it equates to what it feels like to be like, oh, God, I'm going to get hit. Oh, God, I might get finished. Like, that yeah. stress makes, it breeds mistakes and also yeah. puts a lot of emphasis on aggression. So, yeah, it's like to me when people are like, oh, it's a chess match. Like, you mean like the boring, the most boring game of chess that <laughs> nobody would ever want to watch? Because <laughs> that that still sucks. Like yep. <laughs> a chess my, match, a chess match that takes a month for two people to go to finish over mail like my grandfather used to have. Yeah. I don't want to watch that. Yeah. If Adesanya is a chess player, he exclusively plays the London opening. My real chess heads out there will understand why that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's boring. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, and that's so I'm here to watch fighters try to actually, you know, problem solve in high speed. We want drama. Yeah. We want we want drama out of fights. I don't just want to see some expression of like, oh, wow. The way he threw that low kick yeah. uh, was just a perfect expression of form and beauty and the only thing he's thrown in the last two minutes. Yeah, seen it. Don't care. Yeah. Anyway. No, really. Like this, a fight like this, which is a, such a lower level, and I don't, I don't feel that Nunes, I mean, especially after having been like reminded of how she can lose, I don't think Nunes is anywhere close to the level of Adesanya as a technician, as a fighter in general, really. God, no. Yeah. 
But it doesn't matter. Like, (laughs) yeah, but she's been ascendant over her division and to see her lose like that in such ridiculous, it was, it was a, it was drama and comedy blended. I mean, it was, have you seen everything everywhere all at once yet? Zane? I I have not yet. That, that movie will make you feel the way this fight made me feel. Emotions, laughter. You laughed, you cried. I laughed, I cried. I was confused. Um, that does sound like you. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly <laughs> crying, laughing, and certainly confused. So how does it how does it shake out the second time? And what does Nunes do to adjust is the question. Is it Learn an over-adjustment? What like? What's that? Learn what a faint looks like. It does seem like that would fix a lot of problems, right? Yeah, just just a tiny just a just pump the jab and draw the reaction and then counter. Just make Pena throw that slip jab and then pun- punish her for it. Yeah, just just move your head a tiny bit while throwing your right hand. Not a lot. Not not a large amount. Just any way other than right there staring at Juliana Pena and getting punched in the mouth while you throw your punch. Yeah. Would be a real game changer in this fight. But doesn't a fight like that make you worry about projecting like some kind of like the opening is right there, Amanda, but it was right there then. Yeah. And no, it's the kind we... of thing she should have figured out all this time. We thought she'd gotten better. And again, this fight reveals that she's just kind of the same <laughs> that yeah. she can get into these slug fests that uh, they either do work out. I mean, she outslugged cyborg for yeah. Christ's sake, but she can also lose them because it's a slug fest. Yeah, I mean, if it, you have to think watching this Pena Nunez fight, that if Cyborg had not gotten hurt so bad in the opening seconds of that fight, oh yeah, it would have been an absolute war that would be more likely than not, honestly, a Cyborg win. I'd because, pick Cyborg right now if they rematched. Yeah, because we know that Cyborg only like there's no there's no version of Chris Cyborg that has ever slowed down or gotten beat through attrition. No, ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is, that is I not was the, so disappointed by that fight at the time. I wanted to see a fight yeah, and yeah. 30 seconds of stupid action where Nunes just kind of wins because. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's right there on the table for Amanda to make those adjustments. I and think even if she doesn't, it's right there for her to just beat Juliana Pena's ass. I mean, yeah, but she did that the first time. Yeah. It's still right there. I mean, she might just finish is not going to come out as some technical marvel this time. God no, she could she could do nothing different and still just get slightly luckier and finish Nuna, uh, finish Pena in that same first round. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing about that first round that suggests Pena had to survive it because she's Juliana yeah. Pena. Well, except Pena is super tough. I mean, we have to give her that. Yeah, she is. It's true. She's never been knocked out. She's she's, she's never been, been finished in the first round. So that's no. Yeah. She's been TKO'd by Doctor Stoppage ages ago, but she's mm-hmm. never actually been KO'd. Yep. Um, and we know how she responds to adversity. Like, e- even in the fights where she was uh, looking less impressive and trying to be technical, she got less technical as those fights went on, and it became clear yeah. she was losing. She's like, I got to make a fight happen. Yeah. Um, and I, my concern is I strongly suspect because we have already seen this out of Nunes, there's this, this, this pattern feeling where 
we've already seen how she responds to the idea that you can do too much and that causes you to lose the fight. Yeah. Classic MMA overcorrection. I mean, how, how, how will I lose the fight if I do nothing? I, I will say, though, that might win her this fight. It might. Because if Pena can't take her down and D- Nunez doesn't just wade into range on her, then it just becomes a battle of, like, the it occasional might. kick and jab. And that might, you know, it, it might show Nunez better power all the way through. It might. But then it also might put Pena in the position of being the one who it's like, you're one tiny adjustment away from at least making this the same 50-50 fight. Yeah. And that adjustment feels a lot more natural for Pena, honestly, than the technical adjustments Amanda would have to make. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, the adjustment is just, how about start running forward and throwing and grabbing onto her? Yeah. Just make it a mess. Yeah. And I really do think, like, looking at that, I'm like, anybody who has the durability and... I was going to say cojones, but let's borrow, uh, I think it was Mike Valley's phrasing and say the ovaries uh-huh. to do that, uh, is going to have a fight that Amanda Nunes just might lose because sure. it's too messy to control. Yeah. I mean, it, I, was, herself. I was always struck over her run, even as much as like she won and she won great and she had good performances and bad performances. I was always struck throughout of just how uncomfortable Amanda Nunes has always gotten if a if an exchange was prolonged at yes. all. Yes, yeah. And... person eats your shot and just keeps throwing with you? Yeah. And Pena is fully capable of making that happen again. Yeah. So you're picking Pena, right? I am going to pick Pena. I don't think it's like the likeliest outcome necessarily, but it's still way closer to 50-50 than it should be. And the only thing that t- tips it in that favor is I also kind of have been getting the feeling for a while that Nunes doesn't really care anymore. Yeah, I mean, she's a... She's oh, been talking about retiring. I mean, I... I, I, now, I hate to say this because it's, it's never the route that you or I want to have to go. But... Even Dana White called her out and said, you don't really seem like you want to win. And Nunez turned around and said, you know, I'm actually hearing this and taking this to heart as like, I understand that there, that that has been a factor. And Mm -hmm. I hate to give credit to that kind of dialogue, Mm -hmm. but you you can't just ignore it, you know? If a fighter is telling, is hearing criticism that they're kind of checked out, and they're like, "Yeah, I ha- kind of have been," mm-hmm. and it looks like they kind of have been, mm-hmm. then maybe they kind of have been. Yeah, and I would I would say that this could be the moment where I mean, if, if anything's going to reignite your determination to prove yourself the best, then like losing an upset like that should do yeah. it. Yeah, but not uh, not everyone. In fact, most fighters are not like Jose Aldo. Yeah. Who was also in a position where he's like, he'd been contemplating retirement for like five years. Mm-hmm. And then he loses and he's like, I will do this till I die. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that actually I may not be the best. There's some uncertainty still. So I have to prove it forever. Mm-hmm. And now, and look at him. I mean, he's as motivated as he's ever been more so like better shape than he's ever been. Like yeah. he's, he's insane. Most, most champions even, 
aren't like that. I think you, you get to a point where you achieve the things you wanted to achieve. And then it's just, it's just hard. You're cutting weight. And I mean, there's a reason that, you know, Henry Cejudo retired after winning a second belt. Absolutely. Because he, his motivation was clearly all about being the underdog motivation was all about having something he needed to prove the reason conor mcgregor never defended a belt exactly is he his his whole thing was then oh i have to find another bigger challenge i have to find something more difficult that people think i can't do i can't just sit here and be champ and the irony is that now now everyone thinks he can't defend a belt (laughs) yeah yeah i mean (laughs) he never did and it, but it's, it is definitely, it's something we see out of a lot of fighters is that they, they climb to the top with this idea of once I become champion, it's all going to change. Yeah. I am going to be different about, I'm going to see things different and I'm going to, I'm going to reign forever and all that. And then they get to the top and they're like, man, all this pressure sucks. Yeah. There's, it's rare that a fighter like, like Volkanovsky is a guy who's like the pleasure of improving. Yeah. And working hard still is enough for him to like, he's super motivated as the champion to keep getting better mm-hmm. and hold it as long as he possibly can. And most fighters. Yeah. The, how many times do we see like Alexander Volkanovsky just had his career best performance in a title defense. Mm-hmm. Usually a fighter's career best performance. If they get, if they win a title shot, it'll be their title shot win. Yeah. And then after that, it's an entirely different ball game. Yep. Um, so I don't you know. Hear I mean, from Nunes, a lot of fighters, you hear even from great champions when they lose their final the belt. When like GSP walked away, when Anderson Silva didn't wasn't champ anymore, they would come out and be like, "Yeah, my God, I am relief. What a relief, you know? <laughs> I don't yeah. have to deal with that pressure anymore." Yeah, um, which could it could be good or bad for Nunes. Yeah. Either it reignited her motivation. Or she's like, now I'm free, and I don't yeah. really necessarily want to get back there to that yeah. boring and yet stressful, exhausting place. I don't know. I'm going to pick Pena because I, I do count on her to, no matter how this fight goes, there will come a point, provided she doesn't get finished, where she goes nuts. Yeah. And I, I think more than other opponents – She's got the requisite physicality to actually make just going nuts a viable game plan at any point in the fight to at least make Nunes fight, you know, tooth and nail with her at points. And I'm uh, going to pick Nunes. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I, I have to. The fact that she can just take Pena down and get on top of her and beat her up and that she yeah. can land shots that will knock her down and yeah. hurt her. Like the technical gulf that she has that Pena needs to cross is still a big one. And Pena can absolutely press the right fight out of her and get to another win. But even when the first fight, when the dust cleared after that first fight, I was like, I would, I would still pick Amanda Nunes tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, didn't, still, I didn't feel that way. Not, not the very next day, but I get what you're saying. I did. I was just like, I, I cannot believe Juliana Pena is in this position and I got to ride with that. I got, I got to stay true to that feeling that the woman who got absolutely mopped by Jermaine Durandamy (laughs) submitted by her, (laughs) submitted by her is 
still like that this was an exceptional push to victory that Nunez is fully capable of stopping. And if she's not, then so be it. I'm, you know, I'm certainly, we've seen Pena win now. I, I, I can't be totally shocked if she does it again. Yeah. But I need to see Nunez have this fight again and have that first round again and then still fall apart for me yeah. to feel like Pena is just the magic answer. No, yeah, I feel that. Well, hey, if it's a if it's a battle of egos, and it is, Juliana Pena's ego is insane. It's out of control. <laughs> you know what's weird though? I, uh-huh. I haven't watched any of it because I couldn't care less. But I've heard from multiple people that Pena comes off like really collected and likable on her tough season, like a good coach. Interesting. Which well, I I think Pena, that that kind of makes sense to me. Pena yeah. like a position of authority. Like she probably really likes that, but she, she is a. A, a psycho in the way that fighters have to be. That she, oh, yeah, yeah. And and that's the, the thing I, I stance absolutely. This and is, that is the thing Jessica I do. Eye brain going on in there. Jessica eye brain. Yes, I've already described this multiple times, but I said this is the first. Uh, at least I raised my kids champion in uh, <laughs> UFC history. Like that is exactly the type of person Juliana Pena is. Yeah. Um, if she was a soccer mom, she would be beating up other moms at soccer games. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I I do question where Nunez's ego is at, and sure. I don't question that about Pena. And I never really have. Oh like, no. Why would you? <laughs> yeah. Push comes to shove, she's insane, and she wants to beat people up, and she takes everything, every bit of adversity in the fight extremely personally. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good that that chip is a good thing for a fighter to have on their shoulder. Honestly. Yeah. And for Amanda Nunez, everything seems like great and going really well for her. And so maybe she's yeah. getting to a point where the hunger is just not going to be there. So I wouldn't blame her for it. I just, yeah. yeah. I, I... All right. Nunez opened at minus 250, dropped to minus 518, is currently at minus 284. I'm, I'm surprised. That Insulted. Are, yeah. Uh, Payne opened at plus 210, jumped up to plus 485, and is currently at plus 226. I mean, even if you're picking Nunes, like you got to drop a I, tiny amount of money on Pena just because yeah, she's I, already done it. I would pick Pena. I, I would bet Pena at those. I mean, I'm not going to bet anybody, so please don't no, listen don't. to me saying I would bet Pena. And Although, then go. We did know. make some people stupendously rich with our. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With, with our, our Jessica Rose Clark. Um, Julia Stolyarenko by submission. Uh huh. Yep. I know. <laughs> so, we're actually but experts. If I were looking at these odds, they like you would. I wouldn't bet on Amanda Nunes at those odds. Certainly, if no, I we, sit, we just saw them fight. Yeah, it didn't go well. No, and it didn't go well in a way that has not gone well in the past. For Nunes, it is not. A, it is not like a fluke. You know. No, it's like I said. It was the most Amanda Nunes loss of all time. It's just it was crazy how long it was since the last one. Yeah. But that's how she loses. All right. Let's jump over to our co-main event because we got a, a lot to talk about in that let's. as well. Brandon Moreno, Kai Kara France, interim flyweight title fight. We didn't really need an interim belt here, but, you know. No, but apparently, I guess, Figueredo wants money, so. Yeah, and he also apparently hurt his hand or something. And, okay. you know, there is an injury in there, too, keeping him on the sidelines. And so... Whatever. It's fine. Um, this is a fight we've seen before, not that long ago, 2019, I believe. And it's a cool fight. 
it was mm -hmm. a fun fight the first time. And I awesome. think that Cara France, the thing that's interesting to me is that I think Cara France, I don't think he's on this run that he's on purely by happenstance. You know? No. I don't think be knocking out Hajerio Bontarin and Cody Garbrandt and then beating Askar Askarov is a sign is just like the right run of opponents for Cara France. Mm -hmm. It really does seem like he has stepped up a level a with his grappling and his ability to uh fight his way back to his feet mm -hmm. and not just get sucked into a grappling battle that he's gonna lose and and also a greater um willing like more confident yeah more willing to take risks like to to identify the necessity of taking calculated risks like this kai car france comes forward Yep. More often and more effectively than ever before. Yeah. That's not the thing I was going to say is that he, he and it, what the, the, the easy way to think about that for me is he's a better range striker than he used to be because yeah. he comes forward more. He's willing, he is less willing to sit back at a distance where he is the smaller, shorter armed man and wait on counter punches and more willing to fight through distance to make something happen. And it gives him the ability to be a better counterpuncher because he can yeah. – it gives him some tool to, like, moderate the pressure and pace of the opponent. Like, if you yep. come at me too much, I am going to walk you down and nail you. Yep. And then I'll I'll lay back and be like, all right, now walk in. I dare you. And for, for Brandon Moreno, I'm not entirely sure yeah. what – like, I – I don't know what these fights with Davis and Figueredo have done for Brandon Moreno. Right. That last one was one in which um, I thought was amazing. One of the best title fights I've ever seen, just with like all the variety of action, all the momentum swings, like yeah. all the way through. It was incredible. But I also do see what a lot of um, killjoy nerds were saying right after the fact, which is, are both guys diminished? Yeah. Like, both these dudes are just hurting each other nonstop. Like, this isn't how the first fight went. It feels like both men learned a little bit to fear what their opponent brings over the course of that fight. It's, Certainly, yes. Figueredo, by that third fight, it felt like every shot Moreno landed surprised him. It took, yeah. you know, like, gave him a moment of, like, oh, man. That was can't have that that happen again. He was tense from the start, and then Moreno yeah. was exceedingly relaxed, and then started just getting hurt, which didn't yeah. happen in the first fight when he was not quite so calm and relaxed, um, and was like on the back foot and was just in a harder fight the entire time. But yeah, Figueroa, yeah. the power was like a serious factor in a way that it never had been between them. Yeah, and that makes his rematch with Kaikara France harder to call. I agree. There, there is a base dynamic to this fight that has me picking Brandon Moreno, which is, his arms are longer, and he, at least I, I think they're longer. I, mean, I looked this up. He's got a one-inch reach advantage. He's two inches taller. Okay. And he fights longer. He's just the straighter puncher. He uses yeah. his jab more. So I think a slight height advantage, very slight reach advantage, and fighting style, it'll yeah. feel like he's got three or four inches of reach. Yeah, and that, that was a it big did in part the first of the fight. first fight. Yeah. yeah. 
And the big, the other thing was that in that first fight, Moreno made sure to finish every combo or any, every, every exchange. Yeah. First word, last word. Yeah. And that was uh, a lot of it. That was a lot of that came from the range. It came from the fact that if he landed a jab or if Kai, even if, if Kai Car France came forward and started the exchange, Moreno could be slipping out of the pocket and he would be able to land on the end and stop stop Carl France's momentum. Mm-hmm. And that just that was the overriding dyna- dynamic of the fight. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a fight Moreno can have again. Mm-hmm. But I am I'm a little concerned about it. I'm gonna pick Brandon Moreno because I think he can have that fight again and I because I don't think that there's I don't think there's another option for Carl France than to try to win that fight. I don't think he can go in and try to grapple with Brandon Moreno and come away with a win that way. I expect it to be very much the opposite. Yeah. And so he kind of has to try to improve that dynamic that didn't work for him the first time around. And he's done some things to make me think he can, but I have to see it in this fight he's already lost before I'm mm-hmm. just absolutely sold that adjustments that worked against Askar Askarov yeah. uh, work against Brandon Moreno. Yeah, and we, we, I mean, we also can't forget the first fight itself was very close. Yeah. It was somehow very clear that Moreno had won, and yet mm-hmm. super tight action all the way. I, probably the single, well, one of the biggest moments of the fight was, was Kai's, that he... Uh, like briefly dropped Moreno in the first round. Uh-huh. Um, he put him down in like a tripod stance anyway. It would have been a knockdown in boxing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you look at the stats, I mean, 91 to 82. Very close fight. And uh, there's another stat that stands out to me, though, which seems like a factor. I agree with everything you said, the dynamic, the, the actual the functional reach advantage the stylistic reach advantage the willingness to initiate and then finish exchanges all that's great for brandon and even getting hurt by figueredo he still recovers like nobody else yeah he did it in the first fight with kai car france i have to assume until i have it proven otherwise that he can do that again and continue doing it um but the other stat that stands out here is uh takedown attempts zero of zero Brandon mm-hmm. Moreno doesn't have to attempt zero takedowns against Kai Carr, friends. Yeah, he really doesn't. Um, and Kai's got solid wrestling defense. He's a more determined and immediate scrambler than he has been at points in the past. But it's not like Rogerio Bontarine didn't absolutely dominate the entirety of their fight before that knockout. Yeah. Just by taking him down and controlling top position. It has always been a problem for Kara France that if somebody can get him into a grappling match, they can get him making mistakes. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think and, and I also think that while Kai Kara France has gotten better, I, I think Moreno has gotten better at boxing as well. Yeah, there are definitely I definitely feel like there have been like part of the relaxation we saw out of Moreno in that third fight. Yeah. Has seems like it's been a technical improvement for sure. It's Maybe he took it too far, but yeah. The, the the thing is, is that first fight with Kai Carr Fronts was his was current was modern Moreno's coming out party. 
Mm-hmm. We had not seen him as like a legit boxer until that night. It's like, oh my yeah. God, look at these straight punches. Look at this pressure. Look at these feints and these combinations. Yeah. This is what, uh, this is, this is like what you expect out of like a Mexican fighter. This dude is an aggressive boxer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, yeah, he has gotten technically better. His defense is better than it was then. He's shown that in basically every fight since. His comfort in the pocket leads to even better combinations. Um, and so I think a viable plan here for Moreno is to apply pressure and use his reach. But I think this being a five-round fight especially, he can afford to just kind of slow the pace down a little. Mm-hmm. And peck at Kai Car France and put him in a position in recent fights where it has been a good idea to come surging forward and then take him down. Yeah. Um, I think that is a strategy that is more than within Brandon Moreno's reach. And it's the kind of stuff we've seen him do in past fights. It would be a huge, I, I don't think it's impossible that he just beats Kai Car France on the feet, but it would be a huge oversight to not just be like, what if I take him down and he gives his back immediately, which he always does. Yeah. I'm Brandon Moreno. <laughs> I, I can take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, he's a scary dude in top position. He really is. So he is. Yeah, I, I have to take Brandon Moreno. I'm expecting, once again, a very close and very exciting fight, and I, I would not write Kai Car France off at all. No, I mean, Kai, the, Kai Car France just at being more willing to surge forward and extend his combinations. Yeah. Like, if he can do that and Moreno thinks he's pun- he's being last and lands a shot and Car yeah. France keeps coming after him, you know, Car France, he's got power. He's got dynamic aggression that can change a fight and uh you know i i think that there's a real chance for him to create something here like i say, I, I am not sure exactly where those fights with davis and figueredo left moreno it's a very open question and uh yeah like figueredo his you know kind of his problem is that there's one there will be one huge shot coming from Figueredo in an exchange that you have to be ready for, but there's not often things get a little sloppier the more he tries to to put something longer together. And Cara France is much cleaner in a in a long combination. So, you know, if he can hurt Moreno a little, I think he, there's more chance that he would have something following right on its heels. Yeah. Last question: What do you think of Kai Cara France? And this is his first five rounder since I think he had some title fights. Ages ago, right? Uh, did he? I don't know. Um, he's never actually been into a fifth round, whether he's prepared for one or not. Yeah, I thought he might have had a like a regional title, but he may he, not. Have. He won the the KOZ flyweight championship and the fought for the AFC bantamweight championship, but both those fights ended in the first round. Uh huh. So that's it. You know, those are his title bouts. And he, he, he fought in a uh, bragging rights seven. Oh, that's the one you were talking about. The yeah. KOC flyweight championship. Yeah. And that was a 2015, 2014 regional belt, a regional fights. There's no reason to think that those absolutely would have been five rounds. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, I think we we saw him slow down against Askar Askarov, but we also saw that newfound confidence. Yeah. Uh, where he was, he didn't seem to take it amiss. He was like, yeah, so what I'm slowing down, like I'm winning. Yeah. Um, I feel fine. 
Phil uh, said that he thought Kai Carfronts had the feeling of a guy who's been doing this in the gym the whole time mm-hmm. and has finally reached a point where he can bring that out. Yeah. He's, he's now just comfortable with the idea that it's going to be uncomfortable and there's going to be adversity and, but you're good enough to, to just keep fighting the same regardless. But we have seen him slow down when he has to fight at pace. Yeah. Um, this will be interesting. It'll be fascinating. I think we both have to take Moreno. I have sure. to see this fight win out. Of, I have to see this win out of card France against somebody who can punch with him so well. Yeah. And so consistently in a way that Bontarine and Askarov and uh, even Garbrandt couldn't functionally, you know, just for Garbrandt's mm-hmm. sake, just because of his chin, because of how rudimentary his defense gets when he starts getting pressured. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not Moreno. Moreno will hang with him every step of the way. And until I start seeing Brandon Moreno get knocked out, I am going to assume that Moreno will go through and eat every shot and be there for every every scrap for every second of the fight. And you have to count on Moreno's ability to fight five hard rounds. Yeah. That is without question. Yep. Odds on the on the bout, Moreno is the favorite here. Opened at minus 160, dropped to minus 227, currently minus 214. Cara France opened at plus 140, jumped up to plus 182, currently at plus 175. I think that sounds very reasonable. Yep. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Derek Lewis, Sergei Pavlovich. Boy, the one we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Derek Lewis, back in Texas. What's um, what's going on with Derek Lewis these days? I think he has made a veteran's adjustment, and it is n- <laughs> it's not a bad adjustment or bad idea, but it is opening up a pro- problems that have always been there for Lewis that he had spent a career trying to cover for, and now he's at the point where he doesn't feel like he has to cover for them. And he still might kind of. Yeah. What, 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 what veteran adjustment are you pointing to? He has started going first. Yeah. That's it. He has started to realize that he does not have to conserve himself anymore. He does not have to reserve himself. He does not have to wait his opponent out anymore. He is confident enough in his power. He is confident enough in his conditioning. He is confident enough in his round and fight management that he feels he can afford to impl- to to press himself on his opponent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a wrong thing to do. No. At all. Like, you can't turn around and look at that Tai Tuivasa fight and be like, man, the problem there is that Derek Lewis went after Tai Tuivasa. He almost knocked him out like two or three times. Yeah. It's just that Tai Tuivasa also hits really hard. Yeah. And Derek and then, Lewis is like not actually that good, <laughs> technically, yeah. technically speaking. Yeah, as a technical kickboxer, he hits really hard, and he's just otherwise very stiff, very straight up and down, straight lines back and forth only. Yeah. 
and zero defense, zero defense, and never, ever, ever has been the most durable heavyweight in the world. No, the the thing that kept him in fights was always his 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 calm that he implemented over the years, and the huge amount of power that his opponents had to fear. And Taituivasa was able to scrap it out and find his own shots in an absolute war. And Sirogan just never had to deal with it in return because he was just had enough footwork to keep away from him and plug in. And, uh, you know, otherwise it was perfectly fine to go out and ice Chris Dowkhouse in a round. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm get Curtis Blades in two and you know I mean I think it really honestly started with the Dowk House and the Gone fights where he got into this idea of well I mean the Gone fight was terrible so you can't really take a lot from it but <laughs> the Dowk House fight really seems to be where the adjustment of like we've seen the new Derek Lewis who wants to come forward and wants to throw first and wants to initiate and yeah. probably it probably came about because of that Gone fight where he just got stuck looking and he didn't feel like he could actually close gone down without getting himself hurt and it just left him open to get picked off like it like it always has like it did against jds years ago you know like it did against mark hunt um lewis on the back foot against a superior boxer has always been a losing proposition for Derek lewis yeah the question is how superior is sergey pavlovich I don't think he's superior enough. I think, no. I mean, I think he, he's a very solid fighter by heavyweight standards. I mean, he doesn't just, he only recklessly flings himself into range when he's already landed. He's got his opponent hurt. That can still get you into serious trouble against Derek Lewis, but there are the risks he takes are calculated. Yep. Uh, At range, you know, he tries to stay pretty defensively sound. You know, he will stay at the right distance. He will be looking for counters. He'll have a nice guard up. Um, and he certainly hits hard, and he's he's usually pretty tough. Yeah. But <laughs> Derek Lewis could just run out and hit him. <laughs> It'd just be surprisingly fast and hit really hard, or can get badly hurt and get into an exchange. I mean, I don't know, like... Sort of like Pena Nunes, like that that loss to Tuivasa is just like, oh, this is always possible. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, the, enti- the entire Derek Lewis run of the last like five years has really been sort of just essentially improbable because how many of these fights that he's won has he been on the cusp of being finished? Yeah. Uh, or been exhausted or been 10 seconds away from losing a clear decision? Like, it happens constantly that people just outwork him and then he just hits them, but it's so constant. You kind of just have to keep expecting it to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't really see what Pavlovich has. That is, I don't know, particularly suited to winning the inevitable slug fest. And if he doesn't have that, then probably they just trade, you know, like yeah. body kicks for occasional right hands at range. The thing that I think gets to me is that every kind of fight Sergei Pavlovich wants to have is the same fight Derek Lewis wants to have. Yeah. Because, you know, Tai Tuivasa, the thing that made me thrilled about Lewis Tuivasa was I knew Tuivasa would force a car crash. Yeah. 
Like I knew at some point pretty quick in that fight, we would get to a point where both men were in the pocket. Both men have single collar ties and they're just slugging away because that is always the kind of fight that tied to Ivasa's forces. Yeah. You know, Fry Takayama style. Yeah, exactly. And I thought Lewis could win that, but it would be very 50, 50. And it was like Lewis came super close to winning that fight. And then he lost it. You know, it was a 50, 50 fight. But Pavlovich, he is going to have exactly the kind of fight that Lewis would choose to have given the choice, which is very long range, much more measured, very slow paced. And anytime they start punching, they clinch up. Yeah. And even if Pavlovich, you know, he's got a great Greco Roman back- background and all that. Um, even if he takes Lewis down, that's still a fight that Lewis wants to have. Like, that is... Taking Lewis down has been a classic way to lose to Derek Lewis. Absolutely. So, for Pavlovich, there's really... He is really going to put himself in a prime position where he has to bank on that one big counter shot picking Lewis off Mm -hmm. or he's just going to let Lewis lead and let Lewis have the time and space to figure out exactly what he wants to throw and how and, or to conserve himself until the fight gets late enough where Pavlovich is tired and Lewis is still hitting really hard. So I got to pick Derek Lewis. Yeah. And we also haven't seen a lot of Pavlovich's Greco wrestling actually show up like, yeah. Um, his only efforts to wrestle so far in the UFC were in that fight with Overeem where, you know, he just like yeah. couldn't actually secure a takedown and then got beat up in the clinch. He's not going to get beaten up in the clinch here probably, no. though he might get beaten up just outside the clinch going in or going out. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's very difficult to, it's way more difficult than it looks like it should be to take down Derek Lewis. And it's for a long time, been very difficult to, to make that a sustainable game plan. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you take Lewis down, you get on top of him, and he'll just calm down and wait. And guys will get tired and panic holding him down. They're, they think, they're thinking to themselves the whole time, if I let this guy up, he's going to kill me. If I let this guy up, he's going to kill me. If I let this guy up, he's going to kill me. And they work really hard to hold him in place. And then at some point, he just hips his way up, yeah. and they're exhausted, and he's fine. Yeah, or then your next takedown, you are exhausted, and then allows him to reverse you, and then he smashes you from top position. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just, you know, maybe Pavlovich won't be that guy, but knockout wins over Marcelo Golm, Maurice Green, and Shamil Abdurahimov don't tell me that. They don't tell me anything about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, slow-paced fight with Derek Lewis is rarely a good way to win. Yeah, even even Francis Ngannou couldn't win that fight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that says something. Neither could Derek Lewis, but technically he did. Yeah, like it, it just you want to beat Derek Lewis. It, you know, if if Pavlich just goes out there and just jab one twos Derek Lewis, just straight jab down the middle, over and over and over again, this fight is right there for him to take. You know. But that's but, always that's always the case. <laughs> yeah, like just go out and jab the body. That is it. Yeah, 
jab the body from range, and you can break down every inch of Derek Lewis's game. But I don't. I haven't seen Pavlovich be that kind of active striker. Yeah. I've only seen him, you know, when he gets time and space with an opponent who's willing to give up time and space, he doesn't push it, you know? he's. No. I realize it's all first-round knockouts, but it's not like, you know, there's, there's never been a round where it's just like, oh, my God, Pavlovich is just out there, like, overwhelming. Right. So... Odds on the bout. Derek Lewis is the underdog. Open at minus 115, drop to minus 144. It's currently up at plus 107. Uh, money all coming in Pavlovich's way. Pavlovich opened at minus 105, jumped up to plus 119. It's currently down at minus 128. And those those odds are, are stretching rapidly. So well, I mean, the man did beat Maurice Green. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, discount him at your own risk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have no good reason to think that he might not win. I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> this has got to stop working for Derek at some point. Sure. But this is not the level of uh, fighter that, that Lewis tends to lose to. Yeah. And not the style that he tends to lose to either. Yeah. Yeah, it's really... Not not since Sean Jordan and Matt Mitrione, the very least. Yeah. And that was a very different... That was Those were the fights that taught Lewis to be patient. Yeah. And to calm down. Who knows? Maybe he's lost that now that he's more aggressive. Yeah, I think, but I think he's got that because he now knows that he can. But yeah, you know, it's a fair point. Like, this is his Amanda Nunes moment. He sees, he he reveals himself to have been Derek Lewis all along. Yeah. Who knows? I I think that it's an adjustment made because he's now so confident that he's not going to fall apart in after the first round that he can yeah. fight, push himself harder, but he's never been the most durable guy. So pushing himself harder might just be pushing himself into more, more knockout losses. Yeah. It might be that if he pushed himself harder all the way through, he would have been knocked out a lot more, not because of gassing, but just because his chin isn't that great for heavyweight. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Alexander Pantoja, Alex Perez, and um, is it actually going to happen? Is Perez going to get into the cage? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I, I'm, I will assume so, just because it would be really silly for his career to just get like totally fall apart at this point. But yeah, it's certainly these last two years of him not fighting feel like a constant tragedy, tragic comedy of errors. Yeah. Um. It's not been entirely Perez either. I mean, no, it hasn't. It's he's he's really on a uh, oh damn it, who's the classic snake bit flyweight, um, Uncle Creepy. Oh yes, Ian McCall. Ian McCall. He's really on an Ian McCall vibe here. Very much so. That I mean, this this fight would be hard to call no matter what. That only makes it harder to call. Uh huh. Because. Alex Perez is a pretty good flyweight, all things considered. He's one of the better top control wrestlers in the division. Mm-hmm. One of the few top control wrestling flyweights who can just hold somebody down, given the opportunity. And he's got a decent, if a little predictable, punching game. 
and he's developed a really solid low-kicking game in recent years that we can't be entirely sure how continuously competitive it is at the top of the division, only because once he got to the top of the division, he started getting hurt all the time. Um, but, you know, I wa- you watch back that fight he had with Figueredo, and he landed some great kicks mm-hmm. early in that fight. He, you know, he certainly was ready to assert that part of his game at a top level last time he when he had his title shot. And Pantoja has a style that is not at all preventative of low kicks. He tends to get very... Um, is bladed the term I want? I feel like he tends to get really wide in his base and kind of stretched out. Mm-hmm. Bladed to me means more side-on. Yeah, I, I, he tends to get a bit bladed, mm-hmm. I want to say. Even as he's, he keeps his shoulders square, but his feet get really wide. And he still overthrows a lot. And, you know, it just seems very, he seems very particularly like he could be susceptible to that kind of constant kicking attack. Sure. He is also capable of putting out a constant kicking attack. He's won fights like that. He beat Manuel Cop just by kicking him. Yeah. Um, And then he's, he is a wild man grappler with a great, uh, back take game and the ability to scramble with anyone in a way that can also make him tired and yeah. wear him out over the course of three rounds. You know, it, there's kind of always been that thing with Pantoja is he's like one of the most offensively gifted flyweights and also yeah. one of the most cardio prone flyweight elite flyweights out there. Yeah, but it doesn't really lead to very many losses. No, no. I mean, He's, he's, he's tough, and so you, yeah. if you're going to go out there and get buzzsawed by him for a round and a half before he starts to fade, the fact that he's an incredibly good scrambler and hard to, you know, and, and a uh, has a great chin means you have to really put something together to beat him over the course of three rounds. But it's, you know, Askar Askarov, Davidson Figueredo, and Dustin Ortiz all did it, and is Dustin Ortiz like a huge step up from uh, Alex Perez? No. Why no. is Dustin Ortiz not back in the UFC, by the way? One of the, uh, worst, the worst cuts of their flyweight cull. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can actually answer that. Doesn't seem I don't have an option. Well, because he went out and lost to Ali Bagatinov straight after and then has only fought once in the in the years since. Well, hey, nothing, there's nothing shameful about losing to Ali Bagotinov. No. He, he's also a guy who's still perfectly capable of competing in the oh, yeah. UFC flyweight yeah. division. Um, no, that, yeah, that all, UFC flyweight call sucked. It really did. Um, all, all of that is true. Here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. Is Alex Perez a front runner? Yeah, I think so. I think we only, we only have two recent examples to to codify that idea, but uh, never had a comeback in all of his wins, and yeah. never had an opponent start to come back that didn't result in actually a really rapid decline into losing. Mm-hmm. It is notable how many of his losses are first round losses. 
In fact, yeah. all but one of them is a first round loss. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just people put up a certain kind of resistance. They hurt Perez. They take him down. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just have this feeling that you don't want much more breakable than. Yeah. Alessandro Pantoja. You don't want to. You know, Alessandro Pantoja is completely unbreakable. Yeah. Like you do not want to have that character trait against Pantoja. Nope. He is just the he is one of the scrappiest dudes in the entire UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, he's powerful. He's physically strong. He has an unbelievable chin. He's incredibly mentally tough. Uh-huh. And his striking is a mess, but it is a really ordered mess. Yeah. Like, is he a good counterpuncher? No, but yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, his punches are, he's overthrowing things, as you said, and there's lots of hooks, but he, he's sitting there with his eyes wide open watching you hurtle towards him, and he's got a punch ready for you. He's got three punches ready for you, he, and he's, he's not very, afraid. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I was oh, going to say. Go on. There's actually, when I think about it, there's a very Yuri Prashazka vibe about Pantoja. Sure. He's very just fearless. eyes open, yeah. very fearless, very ready to try to engage you with power offense yeah in a way that if you're if you can be overwhelmed he will overwhelm you yeah he's just fearless and when he uh gets a chance to have a 50 50 exchange he's going to take it with such enthusiasm that it's usually not 50 50 after all yeah um and then his scrambling is unbelievable i mean uh, the back take he hit on askar askarov in the first round of their fight where he like got taken down, ended up in a sort of like reverse mount with Askarov on top of him, mm-hmm. and then like elevated his legs and floated Askarov into back mount and body triangled him, like out the back door into back yeah. mount is crazy. Um, he can do that kind of maneuver in a number of positions, and he yeah he gets tired, but it doesn't really affect him the way you ever expected to. Um, I just can't really, even without the layoff, I don't think I would pick Perez here. Yeah. Just because I have that feeling that he, he folds and people get pushback and Pantoja is pushback incarnate. Yeah. I, Um, I I agree. Ultimately, there's a feeling for me that there's a fight. There's a version of this fight that Perez could potentially control from the jump. That if he can come out and he can kick Askarov's legs hard early for Pantoja. Uh, yeah. If he can come out he can kick Pantoja's legs hard early and he can hit takedowns where he does not immediately then give up scramble positions and sure. just is able to start wearing on Pantoja and slow him down Yep, and steal that first round away. Then the danger goes down enough that Perez could just bully his way through the rest of the fight. Yeah. But I the, can see that fight happening, but I'm not going to pick it. The trouble is every single position, Pantoja is just fighting you. Yep. And if you fail a takedown, you're going to end up in the clinch. And again, is he a great clinch technician? No, but he's strong and he's going to grab the back of your head and knee you in the face. Yeah. Um, just so much pushback and tenacity that with the layoff, I feel fairly confident in Pantoja winning, actually, because I, I mean, the other thing is that they weren't all um, Perez getting injured, although a few of those cancellations were. 
Mm-hmm. The one that really concerns me is the one where he just missed weight mm. and stopped trying to cut. And there could have been any number of things. It might have been a different injury, making that difficult, whatever. But Perez is a big flyweight. Yeah. And there's been reason to be concerned about his ability to keep making the weight for ages. Uh, now it's been two years. He's now 30 years old. Can he still comfortably make 125? I mean, if, uh, for all I know, the fight's going to get canceled on Friday because he can't make weight. <laughs> yeah. But if he does manage to make it, I, there's just too many X factors combined with uh, what is already, I think, a, like a 60-40 style matchup for Pantoja just because Pantoja is such a pure fighter. Yeah. And a, and a pure finisher. That's the other thing. Pantoja is so dangerous. Like, yeah. just the willingness to fight back maybe wouldn't be enough, but he'll hurt you and he'll threaten submissions and he's, he's just an, an animal. Yep. Pantoja opened to minus 275, jumped up to minus 116. It's currently minus 175. Perez opened at plus 235, dropped all the way down to plus 125. It's currently at the plus 146. Not a lot of movement on those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, good, solid. Pantoja deserves to be a favorite. Perez is a very is very good. He's very capable. I don't want to write him out of this fight because I can see the path to victory for him. Hundred percent. But it is a very like everything must go perfectly path to victory. Yeah, he has I mean, to set the tone immediately. Like we're talking land five low kicks to the calf out of the gate that have Pantoja switching stances. Yeah, I mean honestly, the vast majority of Pantoja's losses are the kind of fight that Perez would probably like to win. Yeah, Askarov. Dustin Ortiz, um, Ogakubo on the Ultimate Fighter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Formiga early in his career. Yeah, all these dudes out grappled him and just pinned him down and took away that ability to scramble. Yep, could happen. Could happen. Perez is like I say, he's one of the best top control wrestlers in the flyweight division. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout: Anthony Smith, Magomed Ankalaev. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anthony Smith, man. Is is he good? <laughs> it's still really hard to tell. There, I am happy to report <laughs> that Anthony Smith has will-powered his way into being a regularly competitive elite light heavyweight Mm -hmm. because he is full of self-belief and he is big enough and he is practiced enough and dangerous enough that and it's light heavyweight Mm -hmm. and And you're gonna get enough athlete to be an elite high heavyweight yeah and if you are just if you just have the self-belief to go out there and press a fight on 20 different top-end light heavyweights, you have a reasonable shot at beating half of them. Mm -hmm. And that is where Anthony Smith has landed. You Mm -hmm. know? Like, the the gaps are all still there. The ability to fight, to to sort of convince himself out of a striking match is still there for Anthony Smith. The ability to get bullied as a wrestler and just with physicality and to wilt is still there for Anthony Smith. But 
he's gotten more confident to the point that he will almost always pick his strikes out at range. And one of the big hallmarks of light heavyweight, and it's a hallmark for Ankalaev too, is that because everybody hits so hard, there's a lot of te- trepidation mm-hmm. in striking at range at light heavyweight. And to Smith's credit, at least from jump, you have to convince him to have trepidation. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, he went out he, he went out there with, with Glover Teixeira and just started beating Glover Teixeira's ass from the jump. He, he went out there with Jimmy Crute, and Jimmy Crute, you know, came after him, but Smith just landed hard kicks and kept fighting him. Ryan Spawn just came out and tried to wing shots at him, and Smith was right there, ready to counter. And he, Smith is he is ready to scrap from the moment the fight starts, and you have to convince him otherwise. And he, he, he can be convinced. You know, Glover Teixeira hung out and started putting it on Anthony Smith. Alexander Rakic just started taking him down and bullied him utterly on the mat. Yeah. John Jones, Smith just did not want to fight John Jones. No, uh, John Jones, who didn't really seem to want to fight him that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still think Anthony should have uh, taken the DQ and been champion. It would have been very funny. It would have been very funny. Um, yeah, I mean, but my problem with Ankalaev is... He, I, I'm getting this feeling lately. He's he's too clinical. <laughs> he doesn't have the instinct, uh, or he's 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 like trained it out of himself even mm-hmm. to just realize an advantage and then expand on it. Yeah, I, I think there's actually some. I think there's some anxiety underlying it that looks like that yes yeah that he he will go out there and be very tense and be very you know technical yep um really solid but will just allow an opponent to stick around and that seems like a pretty risky thing to have going for you against anthony smith when you could probably go out there and just do what rockage did yeah right like you could probably just rush out jab him into the fence and grab his legs and dump him and just ride him out. I will say this though, worth note, worth thinking about for that Rockage fight. I don't think Rockage got one takedown. That's so common in his fights. He he has these fights that are utterly defined by top control and there's not a single takedown. It's always like a caught kick or a kick that sweeps out the legs or just a trip. Rockage. I mean, there were a couple of points where Anthony Smith tried to take Rockage down, yes, and then just had to pull guard and just got dumped. Yeah, but there's nothing saying that might not happen here. Anthony yeah. Smith, uh, especially if the fight's uncomfortable, will try absolutely everything. Yeah, um, and that could easily lead to him just starting to lose from bottom. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing is, is that Ankalaev standing at range with Anthony Smith. Smith has the reach. I haven't looked at the numbers. But Smith is a big dude. I suspect he's yeah. got very similar, if not more, reach. He's 6'4", 76-inch wingspan. And so actually, Uncle Ivan's 6'3", with a 75. There you go. So, yeah. 
a, a functional reach advantage being a little bit taller with, with arms that are actually a little longer. And he, he's got a good jab. He's yeah. got solid footwork. The, the thing with Anthony Smith is that his technique, um, there's still a little too much like intensity, even in his technical striking. And if you just keep making him throw, you can wear him down. But Ankalaev's not going to make him throw. Yeah. He's going to fence with him. One of the things I will say that has been a a problematic hallmark for Smith's career, too, has been a his counter game really only tends to work its best when he's getting hit. Oh, yeah. Like, he has to kind of be under fire for him to be able to really land great counters. Yeah. But he doesn't have to counter. I mean, it, yeah, no, he, he can doesn't. just jab with Uncle Live and probably compete with him. And possibly even if he if Uncle Live is more accurate and better at fainting, but Smith's jabs just crack him and knock his head back, that it'd be perfectly even. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I have a really hard time finding a concrete advantage for either guy. I, I'm going to go with Uncle Live just because, like, really, he should be able to out-wrestle Anthony Smith. Yeah, I mean, I think if Smith, too, it, it, you know, like we saw against Ronkolaev against Nikita Krylov. Yeah. If Smith comes out and he's just pressing Ankalaev. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no reason to think that Ankalaev won't just shoot and take him down. No, no. And I think that's a that's actually a, a pretty solid parallel or comparison. Like, there is a lot of Krylov in Smith. Yeah. Smith is cleaner on the feet, and there's yeah. maybe more chance that he hurts Ankalaev from the jump and puts a scare in him. Sure. But Smith is also... That might um, also be the best thing for Ankalaev because yeah. he'll get him to wrestle. Yeah. And Smith is a little more—I don't even want to say more breakable than than Krylov because Krylov is a worse grappler than Smith. Smith is much less likely to concede just because he's in a bad position, or make a mistake because he's in a bad position, I should say. But Krylov is also more likely to fight really hard to try to make to take control of the fight back. Yeah. Than Smith is if things start going against him. Yeah, there is often a drifting out of the fight feeling for, I mean, he's got a couple comebacks that are like single shots, but that is not the, yeah. Uh, that's not a reliable pattern in his career. Yeah. The, the tendency usually, has tended to be for Anthony Smith. If things start really going against him. Yeah. They're probably going to keep going against him. Yeah. He has always been a bit of a front runner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to take on Goliath, I guess, for his consistency and the fact that if things do go wrong, um, he may then find something that actually starts him dominating the fight. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see him come out here and, and again, and just start trying to at least threaten his wrestling right away. He seemed so disinterested in it in a couple yeah. of his recent fights, but why would you not at least make Smith worry about it early on here? Yeah. I, I, it really would be nice to see uncle. I have turned the corner that he hasn't really turned since he debuted eight years right. ago. Which right. was, you know, the feeling like you watch me like, wow, there is some really slick, powerful technique there that is being executed in bursts in short, in short little ones and twos. Yeah. And I want to see, like, where's a Magomed Ankalaya four punch combo? But what I've seen in fights where somebody comes in and gets him throwing hands a little bit 
is that he can get caught on the return and then there's a hesitancy there. There's a feeling of like, oh, I I don't want to dig deep into just being aggressive with somebody because it, it seems like maybe he starts to think too much about the possibilities of what could happen in that situation mm-hmm. and lose track of his of his defense, lose track of his position. And, you know, then the, the, there's a pullback where it's just like, oh, okay, I landed one good shot. Now I'm going to pull back and reset and make you make you make that mistake again rather than f- forcing that mistake out of you. Yeah. But he then, you know, there's also just the fact that on, uh, you know, Yuan Kudalaba just went after him and Uncle I have just tore him apart. So mm-hmm. there is also that potential. If you're wild enough and predictable enough, Uncle Iev can, he, he can have that confidence. Yeah, it really is the 50-50 fencing match that concerns me yeah. for Uncle Iev here. If, if Smith tries to put it on him, then I, again, I, I think, as you said, if, if he hurts Uncle Iev, that could be the best thing that happens to yeah. Uncle Iev strategically because he, he'll fight back when he has to and he'll fight hard when he has to. Yeah, but he never uh, doesn't do it very proactively. Yep, gotta take on Goliath, but yep, yep, yep. Smith, like I said, you know, you you take twenty of the world's best heavyweights or light heavyweights, and Smith beats ten of them. Like he has, he has put together the combination or the the confidence and the starting aggression and the well rounded skill set to challenge anybody on the right day, mm-hmm. except John Jones. Uncle I have opened at minus 400, dropped to minus 421. It's currently down at minus 530. Anthony Smith opened at plus 300, jumped up and down to plus 314. It's currently at plus 388. All right, that wraps us up. You can find me on Twitter at These Ain't Sign. You can find Connor on Twitter at Box and Bush. You can find both of us over bloodyolo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Bloody presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And as always, the MMA Viva section is brought to you by the Fine Art of Violence by Chris Rini. You can find that over at chrisrini.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Postfight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Brooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>